Friday, and welcome to Real Talk on this April 23rd. That's right, the 23rd of April. If you do the math, which is not my strong suit, but I'm willing to try it out live here on the show, and welcome to our Friday edition. I'm willing to try it out live because I love and respect you all. Uh, You will quickly realize... Uh, for those of you that have tuned in, that, that two things are true today. Number one, this is the five-month anniversary of the debut of Real Talk right here on RyanJesperson.com on our YouTube channel. If you're listening to this later in the day via our podcast, so thank you uh, for joining us on this journey, our five-month anniversary, which also happens to be our 100th show. We made it. We did it. 100 shows. We can fold up the tent. We can walk away and leave. We made it to triple digits, Samuel G. Yep, Brooks. That's it. That, that was the whole goal, right? We're not we're not building a show that lasts. We're not building a media company. We're just doing 100 shows and we're out. <laughs> we wanted to prove we could get to 100 shows. So we're going to mail it in. Thank you all. And good night now. Uh, <laughs> we do have a great show in store coming up today. We, we started, as a matter of fact, I don't know if we actually made it to a full minute late, but I know that we started just a tiny little bit uh, behind the curve and, and there's one specific reason it, it's because a couple of you like James and Tyler have been active this morning on the trash talk front and you've submitted I mean here's the formula you know every every Friday of course we present we wrap up our broadcast week with trash talk presented by our friends at local waste it's a chance for you to get whatever you need off your chest and and, and the, the formula the key to having your Submission included in trash talk is to have it quick, funny, unique, punchy. Tyler and James have, have, have done all these things. And, and I think that that in a way they just wanted to make my life difficult. They wanted to make my heart jump a little bit and skip. They wanted to email these to me just right before the show. And so right now we're going to do some shuffling live on the fly because it's exactly what we do. And we're going to find a way to include these two in our trash talk, which is coming up in. Oh, I don't know. Two hours or so from now in between now and then we're going to get to some of your emails, some amazing ones following conversations uh, we had yesterday. Uh, we, we told you about the, the midlife book. I've just got my hands on the hard copy, an absolutely stunning book. Uh, you can find it there. They're, they're getting uh, perilously close. Like if not photos already, don't do the book. No, cover the justice. book is unbelievable. It feels like you know what it feels like. It feels like when when you'd go to your grandparents house or, or maybe your parents house and you'd find an old book that that when and I'm well, I got to be careful here because I'm making it sound like publishers don't care anymore and they obviously do. Um, there are still great things happening in the literary world. I've never been one to be a tablet. What do they call them? Like the the kid, what like Kindle, Kindle, or Kobo, the or Kobos, a, yeah. you know, these types of things. I I like holding a book. I like when the book gets a bit dog-eared. I like kind of cracking the spine of it for the first time when you open it. Don't don't forget old book smell. Old book smell. Old book smells. The what I really like doing and what my wife would tell you what I like doing is taking a book and then carrying it with us uh, on, on three or four different vacations over the course of three or four years and never actually reading the book because I spend so much time reading magazines and on Twitter in, in the pithy depths of, of the shallow end of the pool. However, when you get your hands on a great and beautiful book, um, is it proper to use the word embossed and textured? It's embossed and textured. I think that would uh, so be correct. What an absolutely beautiful book. Now, here's the thing. The book is beautiful, and we celebrated the design of it yesterday, but we also celebrate the contents of it, this series of essays uh, from from close to 30 
uh, individuals that are now living all over the world that used to work together at the Gateway, which is the University of Alberta's uh, official student media source, uh, formerly the official student newspaper. Well, how cool to see, first of all, thousands of you check out that interview yesterday, literally. Second of all, to, to receive a report that they're getting very close to selling out their second run of the book. You can find the link to it on my Twitter profile if you follow me at Ryan Jesperson. But how neat as well to hear from the current crew at the Gateway. Hugh reached out to us. Hugh is webmaster at the Gateway currently. I've always thought webmaster is, is one of the great name, one of the great job titles. You know, I sort of imagine like a gatekeeper in yeah. the virtual world. You know what I mean? Like it's, it has this sort of Gandalf element I, I, to I mean, it. You're, you're not just in charge of the website. You are the webmaster. You're the master. You're the master. You know, it's like if you need an edit, if somebody needs, there's like a little glitch in the code or or a link is dead or something like that. And they say, hey, could you fix this? You say, I'm the webmaster, right? Go get one of the web peons to fix that. I am the webmaster. Hugh is the webmaster at the gateway. And he says, I was just listening to Real Talk for Thursday, April 22nd. Says I usually tune. So he, he wrote in about 7.45 p.m. Last night, he says, I usually, you know, tune into Real Talk every week as much as I can. And boy, am I ever glad I caught this episode. The midlife book struck me as a great piece of art and as a powerful reflection. And as a current gateway geek at the University of Alberta, it was surreal to hear these alumni give me a visit from the ghosts of gateway past and future. He says, if you could speak to your future self or your 20-year-old self, what would you say? Hugh said, there's lots to keep me up tonight. Congratulations to them on their project and, and to you as well on the success of Real Talk. He says, is it too early to call it a success? Anyway, he says, much love from the journalists down at the Big G at the gateway that from Hugh their webmaster we love it so thanks you on the on, on the anniversary the five-month anniversary our 100th show uh, I feel like we will tentatively call this a success I gotta get up with the new slang we never called it the big G That's, no not that, that the, one's new not the da da big G da big uh, G uh, it was it was the leaky death ship when I was around there. That was our uh, our, our cutesy nickname well, for well, it. Perhaps we perhaps we will um, forgive them for updating the nickname to something a little more optimistic. I mean, I, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> I guess I guess they probably could use a big dose of optimism around there. Oh, uh, <laughs> Sam, why do you always you, know, you always have to take this into the negative? Are you talking know, about tuition increases? And, okay, so I'm Craig also about the state said of the media email. industry. <laughs> okay. We're celebrating our one of the show. Oh, that's brother, true. Yeah. Can, can you just can you just for a second start talking about the death of the industry for a second? Actually, hey guys, the independent the, media is alive and well. The death of the industry, in a way, is kind of why we're here. Yeah. To be honest, I mean, let, let's be real. This is like point <laughs> counterpoint: optimism, realism, optimism, realism, but no pessimism, and that's the key. The Craig took the time to send us an email, and Craig said, uh, "Guys, I want to thank you for having the midlife contributors on your show today." I wasn't able to join live. I'm catching up on YouTube this afternoon. Most of our audience does. He says the the stories that were shared by Adam and Amanda and Jennifer really spoke to me. Craig says, I recently lost my mom on April 2nd. Craig, we're sorry. He says, I was with her when we received her cancer diagnosis in March, and I had to trudge through a crazy balance of being with her while her health was declining 
supporting my 78-year-old shockingly healthy father, preparing for the end, the aftermath, and staying connected to my family in Alberta and, and salvaging a few hours a day for work. He says, I can't really put into words what it's like watching your beloved mother get sick right in front of you. You, you want to hold her head while she's vomiting in a bucket, but she's still so proud that she doesn't want you in the room. Meanwhile, you're having to relay the diagnosis of terminal to your siblings. You're literally holding on to her with dear life while preparing to let her go. He says, I commend Adam Rosenhart on Thursday morning's show for wanting to document the process of his dad's passing because I have to admit that at the time I was so overwhelmed being in the midst of it that recording anything for posterity was the furthest thing from my mind. To break from Craig's email for a second, if you missed Adam, Adam currently is enjoying every single minute that he can with his dad because his dad has received a terminal diagnosis. You have to watch our interview with him yesterday writing about his dad's, what do you call it, journey, I guess. Adam found the words. That's the whole point of the story. Wrote a beautiful essay about it. So powerful. Back to Craig's message. He says, you know, we hosted an online memorial service for my mom on the 11th. And, and you know, he said, you were 100% correct, Ryan, yesterday when you said that, that we didn't really know what a dumpster fire of a year was <laughs> until now. And all I can say is thank whatever God you pray to for the technology to be able to stay connected now because the memorial included friends and family from Ontario to BC and in between and, and as far away as England. It was a beautiful, heart-wrenching ceremony, but we still missed so many personal connections with, with of course, nobody attending in person. Craig says, in addition, I'm a dad of two. One of them is, is now officially a teenager, and I identify so much with Amanda's sentiment. Amanda Ash joined us in the second part of, of that roundtable. We talked to six contributors. You know, her sentiment about wanting to hold on to, to every single precious moment of their youth with dear life. And regarding Jennifer's excerpt that you read, Jennifer talked about the childbirth process and how she realized she'd been a bit of a snob about parenthood until that moment. The second birth of the placenta. We read a portion of her writing, which is phenomenal. Says my wife had a horrid pregnancy with our son and, and delivery of, of our daughter where she lost so much blood that it quite literally would have killed her merely a few decades ago. So acknowledging that we're really just mammals trying to reproduce is an eye-opening experience, to say the least. Craig says, I am so excited to order a copy of this book. I'm thankful that these few folks that live just a couple hours away from me had the courage and conviction to share their vulnerabilities with us and on your show and in print. And thanks again to everybody involved. That from Craig. Who goes on to say, by the way, P.S., I am the keeper of our dishwasher and I won't allow my wife near it. And thankfully, my kids are committed to following my expert dish loading tutelage. So that from Craig. We had a lot of commentary yesterday on the right or wrong way to load a dishwasher. I just I just felt in that context, 
to me, it was just really unfortunate to see how many of you are wrong about how to load a dishwasher, including you, Samuel Brooks. I don't typically just declare you or proclaim you to be wrong. Unfortunately, in this case, you are wrong with regards to your dishwasher loading strategy. Yeah, <laughs> let's. Well, I mean, like we we don't need to we don't need to have like an hour long cold open discussing dishwasher strategy right now. So no, I'll no, just, I'm not. That's yeah. a, that's my point is we're not yeah. going to because okay, there's no fine. discussion. I'm just telling you that you're wrong because there is no need for discussion. The, the cutlery needs to go with the handles up and the pork, the fork prongs down. Otherwise, you're putting your grimy, greasy hands on the fork prongs or you're at risk of cutting yourself with the steak knives that have the. I mean, this is just common sense, everybody. Sam looks ready to fight right now. <laughs> I'll tell you what. We're about 20 minutes away from a roundtable today that's going to focus on what what may actually be literally the greenest home, the most sustainable home, the most impressive home in the context of a green build in the world. And it's in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains, just outside Calgary. And we're going to talk to three members of the team that made this home happen. Um, They've sent in cameras and uh, the homeowners, while wanting to maintain some privacy, so the homeowners will not be with us live today, have granted us access by way of these video tours. And they've even gone on the record uh, with a pre-recorded interview. We'll integrate this in. So we're going to get some great insight as to why the homeowner wanted to do this. It's obviously a big commitment and a big step. And then what the team, including experts at SATE, did to make this thing a reality. But before that, we're going to talk to a panel of guests that were also inspired by yesterday's conversation about midlife and about celebrating life and about the different stages of life. And and it's a new campaign. It's called seniors of humanity. And that's coming up in just less than a minute. But first we want to remind you that every single show of ours is presented by our presenting sponsor, Bitcoin. Well, if you're trying to understand crypto and, and and right now it's it's dipping a little bit, it's dropping a little bit. And I'm getting texts from my friends yesterday, one of them saying, OMG, what's happening? What's going on with Bitcoin? And five minutes later, I get another one from a guy. They don't know each other who says, great data, bye. If you're looking at this and going, how do you ride these waves? How do you figure this out? What does this all mean, man? Ask your questions to the team that has, quite frankly, years of experience, which in the context of crypto is like being around for a century. They're probably headquartered out of Edmonton with Bitcoin ATMs across the country. Check them out under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So we get this email to talk at ryanjesperson.com yesterday, and, and it's it's from Erin. I've never met Erin before. She says, Ryan, I'm still reeling from the midlife book panelists you had on your show this morning. They're, they're all incredible creators. And the discussion around community and connections and death and stories of ordinary people is, is why I feel compelled to reach out to you. As Adam Rosenhart is experiencing, I lost my own incredible father to a brain tumor a year and a half ago. Thankfully, back in 2015, I sat down with him over a period of a few months and I helped him write his memoirs. 
As his youngest daughter, I had heard so many stories, but I also realized how much I didn't know about his life. And I knew that if we didn't write all of it down, those memories would eventually be lost. Watching a vibrant and otherwise healthy man deteriorate before our eyes was life altering. But he left us all an amazing legacy of love. Aaron says, I'll get to my point. Senior citizens represent such a large and untapped resource, but their value and input is oftentimes underestimated and they're wildly underrepresented on social media for those reasons and a hundred more. I and my co-creators have launched a multi-platform social media project called Seniors of Humanity. Our goal is to help share the wisdom, the struggles, and the stories of seniors with the world. We all know that social media can be incredibly divisive and disconnected, so we're trying to connect humanity through lived experience. And although we only launched three weeks ago, we've received so much support and positive feedback. We've already chronicled many lives, starting with my own father, and then just yesterday, Monica Lipscomb's own brave story. Aaron says, I realize that our project is quite literally a newborn in this in this vast social media world. But a shout out on Real Talk would be so helpful for us to spread the word about seniors of humanity, which would allow us to access and tell so many stories about seniors around the world. Well, I got back to Aaron and I said, Aaron, how about instead of a mention on Real Talk, why don't you why don't you join us? And, and, and maybe why doesn't Monica Lipscomb join us as well? And why don't we dig into this? And I'm absolutely thrilled uh, to welcome both of them to the program. Thank you, my friends, for being here. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Really looking forward to this conversation, Monica. I can't wait to dig into your story. Aaron, uh, first, I mean, this began with you um, as a result of, of, of a really heart-wrenching painful experience but also at the same time a beautiful one spending that time learning more about what made your dad tick yeah no it it really was I mean um I'm from a very close family and had a great relationship with my dad but it turned out to sort of just be kismet that we had sat down and we had um kind of written down all of his memories just as he remembered them and then to fast forward a couple of years and get this diagnosis and then have his mind deteriorate. It, it ended up being incredible. His grandchildren and his friends and all of us now have access to these memories that would have, you know, they would have gone by the wayside. They would have just been forgotten over time. So this is, so you get this, I mean, there, there, there are ways that people decide to, to forever uh, document their, their parents or their grandparents' stories. They may write a journal, they, they may publish something, uh, you know, their own, like a self-published type of thing and, and gift it to people through the holidays. You've taken this experience and, and you've ramped it up big time with Seniors of Humanity. How did you cross that bridge? Like, where did you go or how did you have that moment? What was that moment where you said, I think this can be bigger than just my dad's story? Yeah, once I sort of had reignited in me the the writing portion of it, um, I connected with a young woman, Mira Kassam, here in Edmonton, who is involved with the Yeg Seniors Project. And Mira had the exact same idea. When we had our first conversation and I told her what I was thinking about, uh, we had never met. She said, I've been thinking about doing the exact same thing. So we got started in January and um, 
brought on a third co-creator, Diana, who is our social media specialist. And we just started gathering stories and building a website and getting on all of the different platforms, TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And we just got going, banked some stories to be ready to go and launched, like I said, three weeks ago. Monica, how did how did you become connected with this project? Well, Aaron contacted me and asked me if I wanted to participate. And at first I wasn't sure. And then I thought about it. I too just lost my mom in October of dementia. And I wish there had been a platform like this so we she we could have told her story before her passing. So I, and I also have two uh, chronic illnesses. One is quite rare and any opportunity I can have for a platform for awareness for that, I'll grab it, so. Monica, you, my understanding is you've, you've undergone um, courageously. And by the way, can I just say, sometimes I think it's, it's so important for guests to know this. The, the minute that we confirmed you on the show yesterday, you know, I started hearing from people all across Canada that were excited. You, you, you know, you know, our mutual friend, Don Chube, you know, the television yes. host, she was so yeah. excited that you were going to be here on uh-huh. the show. I said, I can't wait to hear her story. You're a warrior. And that word kept yes. coming up. I mean, brain surgery mm-hmm. after brain surgery. Can you give us an idea of what your last five years have looked like? Well, I have this condition, one of them, called trigeminal neuralgia, which is a um, not a destruction, but a problem with the trigeminal nerve, which is right behind your ear in the brain, and it's got three branches, hence the word tri. And if it misfunctions, it fires extreme pain to one or two of the branches, mine or the, these two. And it's on Google, it's known as the suicide disease because the pain is so excruciating. And it truly is. It will drop you to the floor. It's like somebody just grabs an ice pick and stabs it in your ear. And it's just this intermittent pain. And then it'll stop. And then it comes again. And then it stops. And the problem with it, it's very, very hard to diagnose. So very many people think it's a bad tooth. They go to the dentist. Some dentists pull all of their bottom teeth. And it's not the tooth. And uh, so, again, that's why I was hoping for awareness for people if you're experiencing this kind of pain. Regular painkillers don't usually um, work. You have to take anti-seizure medicine. It's very much like a seizure. The message to the face is creating this horrible pain. So what they do is they go and do a craniotomy behind your ear and place this little piece of Teflon between the nerve and whatever is pressing on the nerve in the hopes that that will reduce the pain. It doesn't, uh, there's no cure. So this is just a temporary fix with the hopes that it will reduce pain for a few years before it comes back. So I've had that on both sides. I've also had um, a balloon rhizotomy where they go through your cheek cheek. I just had this done in May and they go down to the base of the brain here and apply pressure with the hopes of the same thing, kind of damaging the nerve a bit. I've had gamma knife radio surgery where you saw those prongy things on my face and then you're given radiation directly to that area. And to be honest, 
it still hasn't worked after all these surgeries. It's better. The left side worked, but the original surgery is wearing off. So I have it on both sides. I'm not sure if I mentioned that. I'm one of the lucky, rare people that has it on both sides. So when one side is relief from pain, the other acts up. So it's like I can't get in sync so that they both feel better at the same time. So, yeah. And, and here you are with a, a smile smeared across your face uh, with, with the demeanor of somebody uh, who, who is so matter of fact and so measured about it with such a perspective. Uh, how have you achieved that? Have you always been even keel? Have, have you always seen the silver linings of things? Is this a brave face? No, it's not a brave face. It's just the way I am. And I think if I didn't have any hope, things would be different. I always reach for, well, hopefully the next procedure will work. Hopefully there'll be a cure. I've noticed that a lot of uh, mainstream medical TV shows are now showing this condition. And I get so excited because the more awareness is there is, the more chance people will research and find a cure. So um, uh, the good doctor just had it on. Chicago Hope just had somebody on with it. And more people that see it realize, oh, my friend has that kind of pain and she doesn't know what to do about it. So that's my hope. I just hope one day, maybe not in my lifetime, but one day they will find a cure. And I also think about people who are younger than me. There are some children two years old that have this. And I can't imagine, I, they can't describe what's wrong with them. They can't, how much testing has to go through with a two-year-old to figure out that this is what's wrong with them. So I think of that too. I had my last surgery during COVID. That was difficult. My husband had to drop me off at the door and I looked at him and I go, I'll see you later. Going into have brain surgery. It was that was hard, but I thought to myself as I was walking up to the, the you know, pre-op place, there's someone else walking in here, and this is their first brain surgery. So I've done this before. I'll be fine. I'll be okay. You know, like I always try to do that, like somebody worse than me, I guess. And that helps me. Unbelievable perspective. Aaron, you know, we, we take a look at, at seniorsofhumanity.ca. I look at the, the homepage here. And, and as you mentioned in your letter to us just yesterday, I mean, this is a project that's three weeks old, but it has the look of something that's been around for ages. You have this collection mm -hmm. of remarkable stories. Monica's is an example of one, but you have a <laughs> whole bunch here. I mean, this platform, the potential of it in so many different areas. What's another story that's been submitted already or that's been told that really resonated with you? Well, this is the thing is um, what's so unique about this project is, is, first of all, they're just there was something lacking in 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 the social media in terms of seniors and telling their stories. So it's not that one stands out. It's that every single person we talk to has something different to share. Um, I've often started interviews with people and they've said, you know, I don't know if I'm comfortable. I don't think I really have anything. Um, I've lived a pretty boring life or I don't really know what I have to share. And then you get talking to people and you talk for an hour or so and 
you realize, and they come to the realization that every single person, every senior has something to share. And Mm -hmm. that's our goal here is that we want to give voice to seniors. We want to connect seniors with other generations through social media. That's why this, we're hoping this is going to be really effective. We want younger people. We want, um, we want all these interconnections to happen because that's, that's the good side of social media. When people can see themselves or see struggles and relate, that's when the magic happens. So Monica, you you know, you're, your family includes some friends of mine and, and I happen to know and I'm, and I'm looking at this family photo here of yours and I know that there are some there are some family members of yours that are pretty savvy on social media does, is, does, does this this feature on seniors of humanity does this represent a, a, a bit of a step outside your wheelhouse or I mean are you the type of person that, are you all over Instagram and Twitter or no I am. Yes, I sure am. I have a YouTube channel with yeah, 4,000 followers. Yeah. Come on. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm do. so glad you mentioned that. You have a YouTube channel with 4,000 followers? Yes, well, I do. 4,001 <laughs> as soon as I can load it up. Okay. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, I always believe you need to stay on top of what's happening or you're going to get even older. So you got to kind of stay in the loop a bit, you know, except, oh, I even, I've even done a TikTok with my grandsons. Oh my gosh, Monica, you're miles ahead of me. <laughs> maybe, maybe I need my own feature on seniors of humanity so I can start telling my stories. <laughs> what do you think, Aaron? So how does, so Aaron, how does, how does the process work? I mean, every, I, I guarantee you that thousands of people that are going to hear this are going to say, I know just the, the it's going to be their grandfather or it's going to be their aunts uh-huh. or it's going to be their mom or, or whatever it is. Uh, somebody that who has this remarkable story that, that barely anybody knows outside the family, but the story needs to be told. How does the submission process work? What are you looking for? Well, we want to make it as sort of as easy for people to get involved as possible. So when you go to the website, there are a couple of different options. You can um, submit your own story. We have some guidelines and some guiding questions to get you started. And you can submit to us your own, um, you know, your own post. Um, Somebody can submit on behalf of a senior. So like you said, maybe it's a niece or a neighbor or a daughter or son that wants to work with that senior, or maybe that senior has passed on and they want to share the story. So you can submit that way. If you're not comfortable and you're not sure, you can just refer a senior to us. So that would mean that I would then sit down and interview them and talk. And we would work together like I did with Monica to Uh sort of make sure that I'm speaking their words and I'm communicating what it is that they want to say to the world in their post. And there are options for people, even if you want to submit an anonymously and you'd rather just, you know, not include pictures and just sort of include your story. That's option. It's an option as well. The last thing we have is that if you don't want to share your story, but you just have some words of wisdom is we have an area on there called words of humanity. So I'm looking at it right have, now. It's amazing. Right? Yeah. If somebody just wants to send in their, their advice or their lesson for the world, that's another place where they can also submit to us. I love this. Like this one, this one's yours, Monica. Do you, do you want to pronounce the Latin so I don't have to? Yes, it's dumb Spiro Sparrow, which means while I breathe, I hope. Unbelievable. Hey, you know a thing or two about legacies and stories being told. I mean, I think I'd be remiss if, if I didn't mention 
that that you're the proud daughter of the late CFL great Rolly Miles. I mean, you you can understand the value of of a story well told, and yes. and, and I just love that your story is here. And, and I I mean, even you know what really resonated with me, Monica, is like when you talk about that two year old. You know, you talk about yes. the two year old and and you never know. And here's Aaron advocating for this with her co-founders of this project. And and you just know the way that the universe works. Let me get just a tiny bit whimsical for a second. You know, the way that the universe works, that your story is going to find a family that needs yep. to hear it. And it might literally Absolutely. change a life. Yep. That's my hope. I really do hope that because so many people suffer not knowing what's wrong with them. And it's debilitating. It is uh, absolutely, you can't work, you can't do anything. You just suffer. And there is hope out there. Perhaps one of those many surgical procedures will work. And um, just my hope is that it does reach somebody, someone out there that is suffering. Oh, I guarantee it's going to. Um, okay, well, well, hey, hang on. Let's let's put this. Sam, can you put my screen live on air just so everybody can see? I, I just want to make sure here that I subscribe live on the air. So there oh, we go. Geez. So I'm now subscribed. <laughs> you are people because our audience right now, Monica, watching live are going like, where's the YouTube channel? They all want to subscribe. Oh, there so it is. so yeah. we're looking for B- BC doula, right? BC That's doula. Right. Are you? Okay, yes. so so this is kind of a now I'm swerving back because everyone's going to get the vibe. I'm wrapping up the interview here. But are you a doula as well? Yes, I am. Is yeah, there anything I you're have. not doing to change people's lives, Monica? <laughs> Should I mention I was on Oprah? No, I won't. Are you yeah, being serious? Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, you you know what you know what they say is the most exciting thing for people on Oprah, Monica. Is that ultimately they wind up on Real Talk, which is is that's right, very so exciting. <laughs> what what did you talk to Oprah about? The all time well, greats. It's, well, it's funny because you asked me if I'm savvy on social media, and she has a book club, and so I've been reading her books, and American Dirt was one of the books, and I commented on it, and my comment wasn't necessarily the popular comment, but I commented honestly, on how I felt about the book. Her producer contacted me and asked me if I would come on the show and they would fly me to Tucson because it was about um, Mexicans that are trying to immigrate into the U.S. and their struggle. And uh, so we met at a border town We met in Tucson and I was on that show and I was the speaker, like they call you the designated audience. So she has... You know how she goes to her audience. So does anyone have anything to say? Well, that first person is designated because what if somebody gets up and says something ridiculous? So so that was me. So I'm talking. And then when she answered me back, it kind of threw me in my brain. I was like, Oprah is talking to me. You know, it was just so bizarre. Yeah. But yeah, that was just right before COVID, right in February last year. Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. I feel like we could probably sit here for three more hours, right? Maybe me and Aaron would just get out yeah. of the way, Monica, and let you just kind of take over. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's probably not a bad idea. 
Well, I told Aaron I like to talk. Well, yeah, that's not that's not a bad thing on a show like this. Um, Aaron, I just I just I think that this is the coolest project. And uh, the minute that you reached out to us, we thought we need to learn more about this. I have no doubt that real talkers are going to reach out on mass via seniors of humanity dot CA. I also want to point out people can find you on Instagram at seniors of humanity on Facebook at seniors of humanity, Twitter at seniors of H and on TikTok as well you're getting seniors on tiktok before i'm on there so nicely done (laughs) thank you for this you two thank you so much very much oh my gosh yeah you got it i'm just like when when you end an interview and your face hurts from smiling that's me right now my face hurts from smiling and I'm also realizing that I dropped the ball on something. This is of no consequence to anybody listening to our podcast. But if you're watching on YouTube, you'll notice that there's a, the studio light is, is a little bit brighter today. And it's because I have not done my job of dropping the studio window coverings. That's one thing that I left out. So we're actually getting some natural light in, into the studio here. And, it, and it's brightening things up a tiny bit, Sam. It is. I feel like it's a metaphor for the way that I'm feeling <laughs> after that interview. I Sure, let's run with that. How yeah, about that? I'm feeling. I, I, I mean, let's. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty sunny after that interview too. Let's. Uh, this is beautiful. Yeah, from, like I'm. I'm just reading. Going, going back to these words of humanity. This is the the element of the website that Aaron just mentioned before we said goodbye. Uh, these are some of the stories that are featured. The seniors on the site. Uh, Pramila says, uh, "I truly treasure my aging experience, and I gracefully look forward for more to come." Looking back. And balancing the follies and good experiences of aging all were worth living. Or how about this from Pat, who said the most significant life lessons have not come from book knowledge or diplomas on the wall, but rather the folks I have met along the way. Not from Pat. All of this at seniorsofhumanity.ca. I hope that this just jump-started your Friday and 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 sends you into the weekend with a huge smile on your face like it is uh, for me, and I can see from Sam as well. We're going to take a look at what is probably, uh, at least in, in the running for, if not the greenest home build in the world. And we'll get into that. I mean, really? You know, some of you are going to say, really? I've seen one in the Mojave Desert, or I don't know, I've saw one in the Netherlands, or I've seen one in New Zealand. That's pretty. We're going to find out why the builders of this, why the homeowner here are so geared up about the project, and why they do believe that it may have those bragging rights. That coming up in just a minute. Uh, let us remind you that the team at Westworld Computers is ready to pump up your workouts, help you get ready for backyard barbecue season with their Sounds of Spring audio promotion. This is your chance to save up to 60% off audio products from brands like Beats, Ultimate Ears, JBL, and more. Plus, Westworld carries Sonos, That's their whole home Wi-Fi audio system. They're now offering Sonos portable speakers, the Move and the Roam. You can enjoy music, voice control, multi-room listening at home using your Wi-Fi, plus Bluetooth streaming, all-day battery life, and they're waterproof. This goes until the end of April. Westworld is offering 12 months of no payments, no interest on any Sonos orders. You can check out the Westworld team for details online at westworld.ca. They'll ship it to you. Or in person on 170th Street right here in Edmonton. We also, of course, had a great conversation the other day. I was telling you with the teams at Dairy Queen of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And and, and Michael and Mark and Michelle are getting set in May. We were telling you to roll out exclusive specials 
for Real Talk audience members. We're, we're going to include things like customized meals, discount codes, two-for-ones. The kids call them BOGOs. You know, the buy one, get one, the BOGOs. This is how we sound relevant and woke and, and you know, I mean, and, and young at heart. Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park are also ready to welcome you this summer in the drive-thru when you pass through at one of their six locations. You make sure you let them know that you're a real talker. Also, a big shout out to the team at Clean Air Club. You're going to breathe easier and save money if you visit cleanairclub.ca. Furnace filters are the number one thing that you can take five seconds on to control the quality of the air in your home. You sign up at cleanairclub.ca. Oftentimes, the very next day, replacement filters on your front door you pay less than you would in store and your family can breathe easy with clean air club all right i'm really excited about this panel we've had we've had this one locked and loaded for a while uh, but but as is often the case with a new build when it comes to home construction you know sometimes you have to you're eager and you have to stand on the on the outside on the outside looking in just waiting to get to tour what in some cases, and in this case, certainly is a remarkable property. That's the case uh, with the residents just outside Cochrane, Alberta. That's northwest of Calgary. For those of you that are listening to the show or watching from outside Alberta, this is a partnership between the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology, SATE, that's my alma mater, by the way, and Green Building Technologies, as well as Woodpecker European Timber Framing and an Alberta family, the Molinars, who we're going to meet via video in just a little bit but let's get to the team that made this build happen it's my real pleasure to introduce tracy chala who's the principal investigator with sates green building technologies melanie ross who's a research associate there and Haley papito who's the project coordinator on sates living building challenges my friends welcome to real talk and hey congratulations on such a cool project it's good to have you here. Why don't we and why don't we go right into this, uh, Tracy? The the living building challenge. How did this come about? I mean, you've got to pull people together. You got to have the research. You got to have a family on board. This is a private and personal residence, and then you got to make it all happen. Um, this all happened because of the homeowner. Honestly, this was was his idea, his doing. He brought us on after he'd come up with this idea. So. They started about a little over a decade ago thinking about building their custom home out uh, out in Wipris, Alberta. And a few years in, the homeowners had read a couple of environmental books that really changed the way that they were going to build this home. Uh, one was called Cradle to Cradle and the other was called Slow Death by Rubber Duck. And they started thinking about the toxins in an everyday house. They came across a living building challenge. They brought Sate on to, to do the design and the, and the green consulting. And then they brought on woodpecker European timber framing to actually do the build. So I'm going to give all the credit on this question to the homeowners. It was their idea. Tracy, can I just I, 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 I'm using my powers of observation. You're 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 hitting with us today. You're, you're coming to us today from from what appears to be somewhat of a, of a unique placement in the home. Some some people spend hours and hours arranging the plants behind them and the light. And and it looks to me as though you're in some sort of an insulated attic. Why the choice? Are, <laughs> are you sending us a message? 
No, no, not at all. Uh, our whole team has been working remotely due to COVID for almost 13 months. And so I've taken taken the opportunity to float around a little bit. And I'm actually calling in from near Revelstoke and the cabin that we are currently renovating. So yes, I it looks like I'm in an attic, but I'm, I'm in our cabin. <laughs> okay, good stuff. Well, very cool. I wanted to make sure I didn't miss a story. If this was like, you know, this was sort of like space age insulation behind you or something like that. And, and the way that our audience works they're way smarter than me they'd be saying why is he not asking her about where she's sitting uh why don't we get into this with with melanie i mean you you were responsible for overseeing the research activity here right so i mean i would imagine that a ton of work has to go in i mean before you're even ready to start drawing up plans you've got to start establishing if you want to build literally the greenest home on planet earth or at least be in the running for it where does that research begin Uh, That's a great question, and that's a big answer. Uh, (laughs) Our mandate um, with the Green Building Technologies Research Group at SAFE is to transform industry. So what we do, we just keep building on all of the projects that that we do research on. We partner with homeowners, we partner with builders, we partner with industry who are developing cool new technologies and materials and systems. And we take all of that knowledge and we pour it into every project. So this project was uh, no different in, in terms of how we approached it. We really wanted to put everything we possibly could into it and learn everything we could from it. Um, we tackled the Living Building Challenge third-party certification program, which is what gives it that greenest home in the world tagline. Um, we are hoping we'll, we'll, there are only three that are fully certified in the world. So we are hoping to crack that top five. Um, once we get through the certification process, we launched a whole host of different research projects from this project as well, which has just served to um, really enhance our programming. And we've created new relationships with new industry partners and connected the dots between the homeowner and Woodpecker and all of these great people who came through to be part of the build. Haley, your, your background, I mean, with regards, to, I mean, there's the education and then there's there's the experience. The education is certainly relevant here. You, you've you've got a diploma in environmental technology. You've got a degree in environmental science. First of all, just on a personal level, what drew you to this? I mean, how geared up were you when you heard about this opportunity? I was kind of terrified, honestly. I remember being in the interview and and after reading a bit about the Living Building Challenge, Um, Yeah, I went into the interview being like, wow, this is a really intense project. I can't believe you guys are doing this. But also, like, I know my background prepared me for this, but it is such a, like, insane challenge that, you know, we were really, it took a lot of brain power. (laughs) And it took a lot of um, energy and um, maybe a little bit of stress. But I'm really glad to see that the home is built and that our efforts have not been in vain. <laughs> well, we'll we'll have an opportunity here, and, and I want to encourage the three of you, please, to, to jump in on each other, to add to what each other has to say. Let's just treat this like we're out for coffees. You don't have to wait for me to ask you a question. Uh, but Haley, let me let me throw a few things out here, um, and then maybe you can provide a little bit of background for for those of us civilians that have no idea how much work or research or technology may go into achieving things like net positive water, net positive energy. Net positive waste, is that right? Or, or waste or living, living economy sourcing? And a, is it a biophilic 
biophilic environment. See, I can't even pronounce it. A biophilic environment. What's that? <laughs> oh, you started off with the best one. Okay, so <laughs> biophilic um, design is basically um, integrating design that connects the occupants with nature. It's kind of like our our underlying connection with nature and with our space. So it can be as simple as like, you can see my background here. I have, oh, I'm printing the wrong way. <laughs> I have some plants um, and like some rays of sun, sunlight. And then it can be as intense as like, promoting like fear and awe in the building and um, really looking into those like transitional spaces. And um, like the last slide, you could see the glass countertop is the way it reflects light. We <laughs> we said it was similar to how like water is shining and like the nearby creeks and rivers and stuff. So it's really about bringing in these, these, these design features. Like you can see all the wood used in the home, like those natural, um, natural materials and how they age and change over time, their textures, their fragrance. Um, there's some like sap dripping from the beams, things like that. So that's really what biophilic design entails. It's got a beautiful, uh, and as you, as you describe it, Haley, the, the synergy with, with its, geographical location or with the environment around it is is very mm -hmm. apparent it's obviously inspired the design uh tracy how how important was that to this project that that it fit where the home is located so to speak i think that was probably one of the top priorities for the homeowners to make sure that uh make sure that it did fit well in its natural environment do you uh when when you take a look at a project like this, I, I guarantee I've not yet looked at our live chat, but I know what some people are probably going to say. They're going to admire this. They're going to be totally astounded by it, but they're going to say there's no way that we could ever afford to do anything like this because it's probably priced way outside our means. Uh, Tracy, what where are we at right now? With oh, well, Let me ask Melanie because I can see her body language is like she's like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> why, don't, why don't you take this one? I would be happy to take this one, Ryan. Thank you. Um, because we've had people make assumptions that it is incredibly expensive. And I want to point out a few things. First, we don't share the full cost because we want to respect the homeowners um, and that that's their private business. But we can tell you that um, the home costs between 500000 and a million dollars. And that might sound like a lot, but you have to remember that we've spent five years working through a really rigorous, detailed certification program. So there's a lot of extra paperwork and research and effort that went into that. What, we, what, what has happened is that we've come up with some really unique solutions. So the kitchen that is such a showpiece in the home, all of those cupboards are salvaged. Um, the floors are salvaged throughout the house. They come from an old um, bread mill out of Vancouver. Uh, we've we've done so much work in in finding um, salvaged materials to reduce our waste footprint. So that was that big one with the waste that you were asking about, and um, worked with really interesting partners to come up with solutions. And so the kitchen is actually comes from Danka, and it was one of their show kitchens. And then we just adapted it to fit. Um, and it looks brand new and it looks fantastic and it suits the family really well. So there's lots of creative ways to to look at this in terms of getting materials and design and um, the the whole um, cost, the, the piece around cost. The owners were really adamant about making it affordable. 
they said, we, we don't want to build this and spend $2 million on a fancy home and call it done and then call it green. We want to build a home that people can afford to build, that people could actually build again. Um, and Tracy, when you asked her about her background, we were talking just yesterday about how she's on the hunt now for a salvage kitchen for their cabin and, um, and, and various materials. So we've taken those lessons learned and we're starting to apply them in our own homes and we're hoping to um, encourage people to learn from what we've learned and apply them in their own homes. Well, and, and I guess to say something that's not exactly profound, um, salvaged could mean so many different things, Tracy, right? I mean, it could be refinished, repurposed. I mean, in, in so many ways, the construction materials can be salvaged. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the reason why we focus so much on salvage for this project is it's a bit of a shortcut for our research. Typically, any product installed in the home, which, you know, is nearing about a thousand products at this time, it requires a ton of research on our end to make sure it complies with the rules of the Living Building Challenge. So we use salvage as our shortcut whenever possible. Now, that could mean reclaimed wood. So the flooring on the on the main floor is from a, a warehouse that's uh, that was in Vancouver, about 100 years old. Uh, they they took that and refinished it and put it in in as our flooring. We got um, salvaged solid core doors from a development in Canmore that was renovating at a very, very good cost um, and put all of those in. We also can, can use surplus. So when Woodpecker would do a project on another house and they ordered a little bit too much, you know, say lumber, we can take that surplus and use it on our house. And that's another shortcut. And there are tons of places on this house where I can point out, you know, this this overhang on the bottom the roof overhang a bunch of that is made out of surplus lumber this is uh, so cool by the way i should name the the home the project has a name i should say it the confluence which i just think is like the greatest name the confluence am i am i correct and that's when sort of two rivers or two come together right what how how did it how did it did did one of the three of you come up with that name or how did that name come about what is it is it did the family name it um, yeah, the family. I'll, I'll start the family the answer and then I'll, I'll let uh, I'll let Haley take over whatever parts I miss. So the family did name it the Confluence, and it was uh, a coming together of of the two rivers nearby in yeah. in Wipers. Uh, but it's also a, a coming together of Dutch heritage and, and Canadian heritage that the, you know, the husband and wife coming together. It's sort of a merge, you know, the foothills is where the, the Rocky mountains and the city, it's kind of that in-between area. There's a lot of different ways of looking at it, but it's mostly for the homeowners when they named it, it's mostly about their heritage and their location. This is, I'm, this is just taking me, I, I don't know if you all knew this, but this is like my backyard. I grew up uh, in the Wipers, and that's where we did our summer camping. And it is just one of the most remarkable uh, areas of, of Alberta and, and, and in my mind across Canada. Uh, homeowner uh, Gerton Molinar was kind enough um, to, to, to make themselves available for an interview, which Sate has shared with us. And we appreciate it. Here's some insight from the homeowner on on why they decided to, to move forward uh, with this project. This is homeowner Gerton Molinar. The Living Building Challenge was in 2012. And what really appealed to me was how comprehensive it is. It looks at net zero water. It looks at net positive energy. It looks at selection of materials, but also it looks at things like indoor air quality. On top of that, the challenge itself and the uniqueness of building a home like that, that really appealed to me. 
Haley, when we talk about stuff like net positive energy, is for somebody like me that has an entry level understanding of this, is is that what it sounds like? You're you're generating more than you need. In other words, you're able to push some back to the grid. Is that what that is? Yeah, basically. So um, with the solar panels on site, um, we are able to generate net zero energy. So meaning we are able to generate enough energy that the home uses over the course of a year. So that's kind of taking like the ups and the downs. Um, You know, we produce more energy in the summer and they would use a bit less, but then in the winter we produce a, a little less and they use a bit more. And then where we get the positive energy from is from a battery system on site that will be um, storing energy and kind of using it during those those ups and downs. And overall, over the course of a year, will be net positive energy. Haley, is that one of the things that might set this home apart from some others, including those that have solar installations? We had a, I should say, we had a solar panel roundtable here on the show. I guess it was about a month ago or so. Um, and 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 I know with regards to the audience feedback and other conversations I've had about solar battery capacity is one of the huge uh, areas of of exploration, and also the where, where some people find areas for chagrin. They're not exactly happy with battery capacity. How does this home elevate itself from from that challenge or does it? Yeah, so the way that we spec the battery was it's there for resiliency. So it is connected to like the home is connected to the grid, um, providing energy and taking energy back. That's why we say over the course of the year, it's net positive. Um, But the battery is there for resiliency. So if the grid goes down or something happens, you know, they still have energy and it was specced to provide a certain percentage of their lighting and their refrigeration needs over the course of um, like a week. And so that's that's kind of like where we're talking about like energy security. Um, and I know that there are a lot of different opinions. I can't really <laughs> speak much to, to like everyone's opinion on on batteries and on the grid and stuff but this is for this house um yeah they have resiliency yeah sam can we go back a couple images to the are those are are these boulders in the basement what what was i seeing there that it looks almost like an art installation what what is that tracy that is a custom build sort of uh, nook along the stairwell. The family out in Wipers, they have come across a lot of really interesting, I guess, artifacts. And some of those are fossils that they've come across or the kid's favorite rock or favorite piece of wood. And, and they were able to put in sort of five slots along the going down the stairs, which was a blank wall. And each, each, um, each family member gets a spot to put their favorite thing. Wow, this is amazing. Um, uh, by the way, Tracy, shame on me for not mentioning that you were named the 2020 Environmental Professional of the Year by Eco Canada. Um, what do you think it was? Let me add, I want to go sort of like like broader perspective here because, you know, thousands of people are going to hear this and not everybody's going to be able to build a home like this. But a lot of people are sincerely looking for ways that they can go a bit more green, a bit more sustainable, that they can transition their own reality. In some cases, it might just be putting on window film or doing a better job with some spray foam insulation around the door frames or whatever or changing light bulbs i mean the real basic stuff and then we ramp up from there where do you see trends going with regards to everyday people everyday homes steps that people are taking over the next you know one to five years 
That's an excellent question. Um, and I think that Melanie and Haley are going to have more to add to, to whatever I say here. But I'm going to stick to the living building challenge aspects. And I think that indoor air quality is uh, has become very, very important to people in the last year. We spend over 90, 95% of our time indoors. And I think we've really noticed that through COVID. Uh, I think people are going to pay more attention to the types of products that they install in their homes. You know, if there's VOC content, VOC emissions, um, toxic chemicals, you know, leaching out into your air, they're going to think more about daylight and views and airflow. Some of those things, um, I think that's probably going to be at the top of the list. I'll let Haley and Melanie add to add to my answer. Yeah, well, well please do, Melanie. Sure. Um, so one of the things that um, that I wanted to add on to the net the net zero conversation, the net net positive energy conversation, was um, in addition to the technologies, some simple things like how we put together the the envelope of the building, so the walls of the building and the roof, and the decisions we made with insulation. Um, and how thick the walls are. Those are all decisions that um, the average homeowner can make. By adding a couple inches of insulation on your home, you can create a much more um, energy efficient and, um, and, and airtight um, envelope. Melanie, can uh, we ge- can also- we geek out a bit about the insulation? I, I remember. <laughs> sure. I mean, this is like years ago. You're all three of you are going to roll your eyes when I even bring this up because I'm probably so far behind on on the green initiatives. But I remember about 20 years ago, maybe it was 15 years ago. Um, somebody uh, for, for a little local flavor for for my friends in Calgary. I think it was the owner of Good Earth Cafe, if I remember correctly. They were building some okay. some big fancy shack, and I think they were in. Insulating it with hay bales, if I remember correctly. Yep. I mean, where are we at with innovation on insulation? Uh, actually, <laughs> we could really geek out on this. So I won't let's go do too it. Far and, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we actually built a hay bale house way back in the day. It's GBT. It was uh, at least ten years ago, maybe more. Uh, which is a great insulator, uh, except it's really thick. So trying to find balance between, you know, losing all of your floor space inside and, and having a good insulation is, 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 is kind of what uh, makes hay, uh, hay bales really challenging to work with. In the meantime, lots of advances have been made. There's all sorts of different products out there. Some of them are sustainable. Some of them are not so much, but they do the job. Um, and they're, some of those are a little cheaper. So we talk about spray foam insulation. Uh, the industry is working really hard to reduce the chemicals or, or the harshness of the chemicals that they're using in spray, in spray foam. Um, we're currently using in our building at SAIT, uh, we have a net zero building that is our lab and we use a, a dense cellulose. So it's packed in and it's reminiscent of the days of hay bale, but think about um, fibers that are densely packed into the wall cavity. Uh, and that works really well. We have a slightly thicker wall though, to get the, the benefit of a, of a true, um, uh, you know, net zero um, system without having too much technology added to the building. Uh, in, in this case, um, they went with a slightly thicker wall and then packed it with insulation um, and also paired it with some really awesome windows that are really high performance. So they don't leak. They don't, you know, you don't feel the cold on those cold, cold days in the winter when the wind's blowing. You don't feel it kind of blowing through your window. Um, and then uh, lots of insulation in the roof. 
um, because heat rises and we lose a lot of it as we move up through a building. So lots of insulation there to keep it trapped. And then we add, then we add the technology. Um, so there, there's, there's some geeking out, uh, how far do you want me to go? Well, I think that no, I I guarantee you, I guarantee there are people, especially people that aren't watching this live or that are listening to the podcast, that are going to be going back and they're going to be like scribbling this stuff down and making notes because this is these are the things that people are interested in, right? And 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 Haley, we just you know even even with your research interests, I mean, I would think that as as we sort of return to the idea of of where people will trend or where industries will trend and, and steps people can take, I mean, you've done a lot of work, haven't you, on on things like like rainwater. Um, and, and conservation and steps people can take. I mean, where do you, where do you see homeowners going? Like mainstream moves that people can make. Oh gosh, that, okay, that's a really wide question. Um, I think in terms of what people can do in their own homes, I know that in the past year, you know, we've been working from home, um, and we've a lot of people have been doing renovations in their home. Just to piggyback off of Tracy's point of like indoor air quality, I think that's a huge step that we can make. Um, as people who are doing their own renovations, you know, if, you, if you're picking like non-toxic glues or better yet, you're picking um, uh, ways to design for like disassembly, like nails and screws and things like that, that's a lot better. Um, and then again, incorporating like the biophilic design elements into your home, like nobody wants to be working or living in a concrete box. And I think that's what's really moving us away from you know, maybe more like cubicle type offices and um, just even in your own home, things like that. And then in terms of like rainwater capture and, and um, maybe energy in your own home, I mean, there are a lot of different incentives that you can you can put solar panels on your home, start transitioning yourself into um, like producing your own energy. And then, you know, there's a lot of opportunities, even up here in in this very cool climate we call Canada, um, there are a lot of opportunities for gardening and collecting your own rainwater. And, um, you know, you don't need to build a four season greenhouse. I mean, you can if you want, but, you know, there's a lot of different opportunities for having something just in your home year round or just um, doing things in the summer outside and growing your own food and promoting that food security and that connection to your own food things like that. I see it uh, even where we live in in the heart of the city uh, here in Edmonton, Alberta, you know, five minutes out of downtown um, families on our street uh, are keeping backyard hens have converted their front yards into, first of all, uh, producing, but also beautiful gardens. Um, and I see that being being more of a mainstream thing. Uh, my understanding is that this home, uh, the confluence also uh, to, to qualify for a lot of this or to meet some of the the uh, the requirements of this project of this assignment, so to speak. And pe- people can learn more, by the way, I should mention, like there's a whole bunch of hashtags and resources that people can check out um, the hashtag green building technologies, the hashtag here at SAIT. You can learn more about the confluence in the home. A big part of this, they had to have what was it? Twenty percent of the property uh, dedicated to, to food operations or food growing in some can somebody take us into what that means and then how that was implemented sure Haley, why don't you jump in because you've been involved in this one you're passionate about it yeah i can speak to that so as part of um this version of the living building challenge our requirements were for um the area that we're in to have 25 percent of um the project site used for productive um means so 
that can be that's mostly um for like edible food but that can also be for like medicinal um plants as well so we were able to get a bit of an exception so we're at, we're at above 21 percent um i forget the exact decimal place but about 21 percent of the project site is being used for for urban agriculture and uh, we got that exception because it's <laughs> it's a bit difficult to have such a huge amount of space um, in this cool climate with like all the wildlife around, like there's bears, um, right, and things like that. So, yeah, they are they will be building like a three season greenhouse, um, and so we'll be promoting it that way. And then there's going to be a lot of different like raised beds and. Um, like rain gardens and that also contributes to the net positive water imperative um, and just different things like that. So yeah, it's going to be a a beautiful garden. Haley is, is a, is a rain garden what it sounds like? Is that, is that just a garden that is, that is obviously irrigated by capturing rainfall? Is that what that is? Yeah, basically. So it'll be on the sides of the driveway. The driveway is gravel. So it's a bit permeable, like more than, than pavement would be, but um, it is still a bit impermeable. So yeah, there'll be rain gardens on the side that's filled with plants that can be, um, can go in, in areas of, in times of like drought or in times of, of a lot of water. And, and then those plants will also be edible. Very cool. Stuff. Think, um, think with water, the strategy is to keep as much water on the site as possible. And it's hard when we live in our urban city areas because a lot of water the way we design our space and we don't have a lot of green space on our properties we have lots of concrete walkways and driveways we have asphalt roadways and so all that water runs off and it goes into storm drains and then it has to be handled by the municipality so we want to keep as much water on site as possible so we can grow as much as possible and have um, and capture everything else so that we can use it in this house some of that water is going to be used to um, uh, flush toilets and 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 you know wash things and 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 uh, and strategies like that, which which are all totally possible in uh, in Alberta um, because we don't drink from the toilet. <laughs> we shouldn't be we shouldn't be using drinking water to flush our toilets, which is what we currently do. Um, and then outside, with all the water on site, anyone who can who can get you know, it gets frustrated with our dry periods and then having to do lots of excess watering just to keep your plants alive. In this case, we're creating an environment where those plants can thrive and hopefully extend the growing season. So we're going from, you know, May through to October um, and and growing lots of variety of things um, where I know in my backyard, I'm lucky if I can grow flowers and the rest of it just kind of dies because it's so dry. I, I don't want to brag, Melanie, but I'm I'm very good at uh, killing a variety of plants uh, and flowers. So Me I, too. <laughs> I have I have equal ability to kill flowers, plants, vegetable garden. So, yeah, the, the best thing that I can do is, is steer clear of it or, or talk to experts like you to try to grow the most resilient plants on, on planet Earth. Um, I killed a cactus a while ago, as a matter of fact, which is very hard to do. Um, we're going to be That's back. Uh, yeah, it is impressive. Uh, we're going to be back with Tracy and Melanie and Haley in just a second. This is a perfect time to remind you about our partnership with the team at Kubi Energy Solar Installers headquartered out of Edmonton and Kamloops, BC, which means that they're serving their residential, commercial and industrial 
customers in Western Canadian jurisdictions with their Tesla certified installers. Kubi Energy takes you from the consultation process all the way through the build. They even handle the paperwork to make sure you get the refunds and rebates where you can find them. And of course, they present positive reflections every Monday right here on the show. Share your positive stories, videos, photos with us to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Make sure you mention Kubi Energy. A shout out to the team at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. If you're looking to downsize your rig right now, get a little bit more efficient, why not consider the Jeep Cherokee 4x4? It's a perfect fit if you don't need the big, massive SUV, but you still need the great capabilities that come with the Jeep brand. Right now, for $34,990, you're going to get the leather-wrapped steering wheel, the touchscreen Bluetooth, and of course, all the other bells and whistles, included in upgraded stereo that you might expect at a much higher price. You'll find those Cherokee Sport 4x4s at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Also a big shout out to the team at Friesen Brothers. You have your license to grill, but why not broaden your understanding of what could wind up over those briquettes this summer as you enjoy the beautiful backyard season. Friesen Brothers for more than 65 years has been proudly serving Alberta Albertans with fresh-grown Alberta produce. The other day, Sam, I I brushed with olive oil some lengthwise sliced zucchini with a little sea salt and cracked pepper. I let you need on it. Yeah, the the grill was just firing up, and it was just the flames were licking the zucchini. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna have to find a way to talk about this on Real Talk. (laughs) We got that zucchini at Friesen Brothers. They've also, of course, you know, got Alberta beef, pork, turkey, chicken. They're proud of their butchers. Friesen Brothers, Alberta grown and Alberta owned. We're talking about SAIT's Green Building Technologies program. They call it the GBT program and the Living Building Challenge. This is, uh, as a matter of fact, out of Seattle, Washington. It's the International Living Future Institute, and they administer this Living Building Challenge. And we heard from Gurdon Molinar. He and his wife, Jolene, had this unique vision for their dream home. Actually, Sam, can you lock and load that second clip with Gurdon? That'd be great. So so it's it's a home. That basically, they wanted to enter this this contest. They wanted this challenge. They learned about the living building challenge and they approached Sate themselves proactively to get this build done. And this is this is why they did it. Back in 2015, uh, I got to know Sate and uh, its green building technology group. And of course, uh, building a house like this is kind of difficult. So we really needed expertise in uh, sustainable home building. And Sate has experience in uh, net zero homes. And that really um, worked out well. And on top of that, uh, there is a significant educational component to the Living Building Challenge. So that was also a good fit of partnering up with SAID. We're talking to Haley Papazzo, Melanie Ross, and, and Tracy Chala. Tracy, I, I want to uh, get you to respond to that first, and I want to ask all three of you about it. Um, but there's a comment here from Judy, which, which I, I think might be a fair comment. But, but in the context here, we understand that this project is, is sort of a collaboration of the family's Dutch heritage, uh, the, the, the Canadian jurisdiction, the geographical location of the home. Judy on our live chat says, once again, Europeans are leading the charge on renewable energy and sustainability. Judy says we need to catch up in Canada. Uh, Tracy, is she on to something or no? Uh, that's a funny comment. Thanks, Judy. <laughs> um Maybe she is onto something. Uh, I, I mean, Herton and and Jolene, they are they are Canadian. Jolene was born and raised here in Canada. Herton uh, has been here for a very long time as well. 
Uh, I think that maybe some of his Dutch heritage plays a role in this and that there is some some pretty high end builds uh, in the in the climate where he came from. And I think he's he has a background. He's an engineer and an environmental scientist. So he wanted to to do something innovative, something creative. He wanted a challenge. And I I don't know if I would blame it necessarily on the fact that he's Dutch, but I would definitely say his his education and past experiences played a big role in this decision. Melanie, you've done a ton of work over the course of your career. People have heard about like I think most people have heard about like LEED standard or LEED certification mm-hmm. and, and well and other certifications and building performance. Um, how does I mean, generally speaking, it, this is a totally unfair question, because how, how do you assess an entire <laughs> nation's worth of in, infrastructure? But but how, where is Canada? Where would you assess Canada right now with with regards to um, whether this is private homeowners like Molnar's or, or, or whether it's maybe some of the you know, the we could talk about building codes, maybe how office towers are being built and some of the tech that people are recognizing could, could whether whether that's on, on rooftops or even some of the glass panels, you know, doubling as windows. How is Canada doing? I actually think we're doing quite well. Um, we uh, we were quick to jump on to the lead bandwagon with it in Canada when the USGBC developed the program. Canada GBC formed very shortly thereafter, and um, and worked on that. and And we've been um, right up there with the US on a per capita in terms of that program um, in certifying space. I, I, I like to boast about Alberta because I, I we get a bad rap as being an oil and gas province, but we were actually um, the top province for a few years in terms of certifying lead buildings uh, and have a really long standing, uh, over 23 years, 24 years of um, running a sustainable building symposium conference every year and uh, and really having great grassroots movements towards that. Um, lots of technology advances are happening. Um, we want to learn from our colleagues internationally and in the U.S. as well as um, innovate within Canada. So you're not wrong in saying, you know, the um, some of the thinking and the influence that came into this project um, came from those European um, design strategies and decisions. Um, Woodpecker European Timber Framing is run by Peter Grohl who is German and, you know, the, the, that partnership very much came from that European style of building with large wood um, um, timbers and so on. And uh, so there's definitely a European influence in this home, but that doesn't mean that we don't do this kind of building in Canada. It just sometimes looks a little different. Uh, it's a long game. We're playing the long game. I mean, GBT has existed for over 10 years now and we plan to exist for another 50 um, helping industry slowly make gains and move forward. Um, I'm going to touch back on Haley's comments around solar and battery storage. Um, solar used to be incredibly expensive and not very many people had it because it wasn't happening a lot. It, there wasn't a lot of availability. It was expensive because they were only producing a few panels at a time. Battery storage didn't even exist. And now we have companies who, um, you know, we have our, our, traditional um, utility providers like Atco and NMAX and um, Park Power folks, Park Power and and all those guys now who have entered the solar game and they can put a solar array on your home and you can get a a return on that investment in in five to 10 years. 
um, which is fantastic. And, uh, and then you reap the benefits of having solar and not having to pay for energy because you're collecting and using the one, the solar that you're generating. Um, batteries, we're working with uh, different companies on looking at solutions um, for different applications um, from commercial to residential. And we're at the point now where you were working with a company who's repurposing um, electric vehicle batteries. So those vehicles are done. What do you do with the battery? Well, let's repurpose it and turn it into a battery storage unit for a home so that we can continue to collect energy and, and use it and reduce the homeowner's cost. Wow. So it's it's happened over time and it's it, we're getting there. We're, we're definitely making progress. Well, Melanie, I can't remember the, the source of this. I think it was in a documentary or something. But I remember a while back I heard somebody say, like, if if you're going to be talking about solar or, or evaluating its appropriateness for, for, for your situation, whether it's your cabin or your cottage, your home, whatever, um, you have to be. And it sounds like such an obvious thing to say, but you have to be evaluating it where it's at now. We wouldn't talk about smartphones um, using reviews or data or performance from five years ago because the capabilities have exponentially increased. And, 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 and whoever it was, I wish I could remember, that paralleled smartphones and solar was saying that the, the, the increased capability with regards to battery storage, affordability, and everything else over the past number of years has, has been dramatic. Would you say that's a, an accurate statement? Incredibly, incredibly accurate. I mean, I think about my flip phone from 15 years ago. Sure. <laughs> I wouldn't want to go back to that. I, I you know, I, I, it was just a, it was just a means to an end to be able to, you know, answer emergency calls. And now I, you know, I, I do as much work on my phone as I do on my computer. Um, I've got a, and, I've and got a buddy that's making, changed. yeah, but he's making a documentary right now. And he was telling me for, for some of the B roll for his documentary, he's shooting it in HD on his iPhone, like for some yeah. of it, for some of it. And I bet the average viewer will have no idea uh, that some portions of that film are shot on an iPhone. I digress. L- let me get back to this, Haley, because I, <laughs> Haley, I think this might be in your wheelhouse. We've got a couple of viewers right now that are checking in live. Um, Scott says, uh, please, uh, can we ask about the heating of the home? And Trevor M would love to, quote, geek out over the HVAC system, uh, says that is my wheelhouse. Can you take us into heating HVAC? Yeah, I can try. Um, so, a lot of a lot of the structure was designed to um, capture as much solar energy as we can. So we're we're oriented to the south with windows on the south, the east, the west. Like basically, there, there are no windows on the north um, to capture all of that energy. And then we have obviously like the thermal mass uh, within it to store it. And then we have um, um, in-floor heating that's actually using sand um, within it. So I think that's a, a bit different from normal like construction, uh, that quota. So can you explain how that works, Haley? Sand? <laughs> or, or- um, yeah, it, it essentially, it essentially conducts, it conducts the, it conducts the heat. So it, it stores the heat as a ther- thermal mass means you have like a large material that can hold heat. Yeah. So it slowly releases the heat over time, which means that you're not just, you don't have a cold surface all the time. You have a warm surface and you feel warmer because of it. And so with the in-floor heating in the basement, they do sand and it's, it, it acts as a thermal mass to hold the heat longer 
and slow release it into the building. Um, so just as, I'm, with, as I'm trying to imagine it, so it's it's like in lieu of a subfloor or below a subfloor, there's actual physical granular sand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so wow. um, basically they put the tube of the in-floor heating and then they surrounded it with sand. Um, and then we put the, the salvaged hardwood on top. And so that was on the, the main and the upper floors. That's amazing stuff. Um, Larry's curious to know what what construction. Now, now I'll recognize here that there was there were construction partners here, correct? So uh, we noted that Woodpecker European Timber Framing uh, was involved in this. But Larry's wondering what construction role uh, Sate played. Uh, Larry goes on to say um, the use of reclaimed, repurposed materials is great when possible, but is practical on a, on a much smaller scale. He says, regardless, this is such an impressive design and build. Uh, most especially, uh, he says, though, a custom build. Um, who wants to take this one? Maybe you, Tracy? Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Um, so Sate's role, uh, and I'll, I'll uh, give credit to mostly Rebecca, who was my predecessor at Sate. She she finalized the design. She got this project rolling back in 2015, and and she's moved on from, from GBT since then. But uh, we were responsible for the initial design, the floor plan, how things were going to come together. Uh, I think from that point, the design got handed over to Woodpecker who took our drawings and made it work with their European timber framing model. And they have these, if you check out their website, uh, you can watch a whole video about their inefficient wall system. So all of the walls were actually constructed offsite in extra at their at their facility. Um, they're quite thick. They consist of a two by four staggered wall, uh, a stud in the, in the middle, uh, blown in cellulose kind of sandwiched between between, between some boards. The really interesting part to answer this question is that we didn't use plywood, basically on the whole project. So how do you construct a house without plywood? And why wouldn't you? The main reason is that all of the plywood has formaldehyde. I know you can get formaldehyde free plywood, but that was that was too easy. Let's let's challenge ourselves and do something really crazy. So no plywood, but we were able to sandwich it together using, um, and I don't know if we have any any photos, but we used diagonal uh, one by sixes to slap on one side. The other side, we used a Stico board that was uh, unfortunately all the way from Germany, which has a bit of a footprint to it, but it's very environmentally friendly. Put those together, got a really great R value, which I can't, I can't say off the top of my head, all those walls were shipped to the site and put up in just over a day. And then on this picture, you can see all the horizontal strapping uh, that had to be done in lieu of plywood so that we had something to attach the, the mesh to and then the stucco on top of that. So Sate actually didn't do any construction. We did the design and then we're making sure we follow the rules of the living building challenge. I've, I'm uh, obviously not a home builder, but what I've been hearing about the cost of wood, the price of wood right now. Um, people, is is it is it accurate? Like Sam, the producer of the show, you're, yeah. you're, you look like your head's about to explode. People are saying, I heard yesterday somebody lately. said that uh, a sheet of plywood is going for a hundred bucks now, and two by fours are like a four hundred percent increase in price right now. You're doing your basement. You've noticed. Yeah. I I can't speak to. Yeah. I haven't bought plywood recently, but uh, I I was paying like eight dollars for a, an eight foot two by four, which is like three times the regular cost that's it was, wild yeah, it was driving me crazy so so i yeah. mean that to say that there's an impetus for more people i mean this comes back maybe even to the repurposing conversation or reimagining the way that we build i mean that's one reason of many to do it yeah exactly yeah, absolutely we actually just bought seven sheets of plywood yesterday for seven hundred dollars and 
it's for the cabin and it is a little bit urgent because we have time right now. We need to get certain things done. $700. And my mom's sending me a little meme saying, oh, you must be rich. And seven sheets of plywood in the back. Like it's, it's crazy. So I was talking, I was talking to, to uh, my friend, Mikkel, who's the CEO of local waste. Who's one of our partners. I was talking to him on the phone yesterday and he says when they, when they drop off these bins at people's houses, you know, people are going to be doing renovations or whatever. They need a bin. Typically people will want to put plywood down on the driveway, especially if they've got exposed aggregate or something that could get destroyed. Right. He says now people are putting down the plywood and then like watching through the window until the bins drop to make sure their plywood doesn't get stolen like that's like a real thing now it it is and it it is a direct it's an impact from covid honestly from the from the pandemic it it, it's a supply chain issue and we could talk about supply chain on this project too it's really interesting um so the 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 wood issue right now is a supply supply chain issue in that there wasn't enough supply to meet the demand. Once we all shut down and everyone was stuck at home and decided to start renovating, that was way more renovations that typically happens in a year. So suddenly wood was scarce. And then all of the um, mills have to operate with much less staff. Like everyone else, we've reduced staff everywhere in all of our production. So they can't produce as much. So we can't keep up with the demand. And so it's just getting worse and worse. And here we are at 400% on average cost um, inflation. I promise everyone it will get better. It will eventually get better. Um, <clears throat> and it'll and it'll go back down. But uh, interesting on, on that, that whole salvage piece was um, there were small offcuts from some of the projects, some of the wood that, that, that uh, was going in on this project and the, Curtin um, decided that um, he would make birdhouses for everyone for Christmas out of the offcuts. They turned out really well. He gave one to each of us on the team as well as family and friends to sort of thank everyone. So it's just those, you know, creative uses of things. Um, We have some plans for um, some of the waste that, that um, we still have the waste that is earmarked for landfill. It's very, very small. There's not very much, but we have some ideas around building um, art pieces out of the uh, out of the pieces of, of plastic and wire that uh, and little bits of metal that can't be recycled. Uh, and then when we're talking about getting materials for the project, while we didn't um, actually physically construct, our team spent a lot of time researching and finding those salvage materials, um, uh, ensuring that we were meeting the conditions. And Tracy and Haley can, especially Tracy, can give you a horror stories about the red list, uh, which is this infamous component to um, uh, the living building challenge. It is often the piece that uh, projects do not attempt, which is why they don't achieve full certification. It's a list of over 800 um, toxins and chemicals that we had to evaluate every single nut and bolt and nail against to ensure that those toxins and chemicals were not coming into the building. Um, and wow. we're not part of the build. So where would where would where would some of those lie that the average person might not expect, or what 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 construction materials may have been? What would be an example of something that was eliminated that made this a bit more of a challenge due to that so-called red list? Tracy, why don't you jump in? <laughs> She's like, thanks. <laughs> yeah. First of all, complete transparency. I don't know if you can see it, but do you see this white right here? This is from the red list. <laughs> this is from 
this is from this project. I swear that wasn't there two and a half years ago. Just this white. Well, can bit. I say that that is the hottest trend uh, through this pandemic right now? People, <laughs> people allowing people just rocking that. Oh, honestly, this is the first time I've worn makeup in about eight months. So it's a special day. <laughs> there, special you go. day. there you go. Um, I knew you were going to record it. So, um, so yeah, Redless, bane of my existence for the last two and a half years. Um, when you're looking at the Living Building Challenge, there are seven petals that you can break it down into. Materials is by far the hardest for almost every project. Within materials, you're looking at things like how far did it travel to get there? And we have a small budget. We need to source as many things as we can from within 500 kilometers of the project site. We need to look at the waste management. And this is the bane of Haley's existence, trying to um, get between 90 and 95% waste aversion, which included the original house that was on this property just a few years ago. 100% of that house was diverted. I think they sold it for a dollar and shipped it about an hour north to a new site. Now, if we get into Red List, I'll try and give you the very simple version of that. What we need to do is every product installed, we need to contact the manufacturer, look at their MSDS, get 100% of the ingredients, which is next to impossible. I will admit that. Um, then we compare that list of ingredients to those 815 toxic chemicals that have been predefined. So that includes things like um, the obvious ones like asbestos and, and lead and mercury and formaldehyde, but it's also like chromium six. So we couldn't put any chrome fixtures on, on any of the bathrooms um, you know, on the toilet, on the on the faucets, anything like that. So let's say we have about 800 products right now. Every single one of those products uh, took between four to eight, sometimes more hours of research to make sure it's compliant. And that has been so, so difficult. Um, one other piece is that, yes, we're going to get a certificate in the end, just like lead, just like passive house or whatever. But more important than that is we need to have a philosophy about this whole, the way we're approaching this whole project has been completely different and advocacy. So advocating out to those suppliers and manufacturers and asking them, take out that formaldehyde. It doesn't need to be there and trying to change the or catalyze the, the market so that we're not having all these toxins leaching into our homes and breathing it in every day. And just to note, like we, while we have a little over 800 products in the, in the home right now, we researched more than double that to find those 800 products um, and working with different organizations that had lists and products available. And then we ran up against the challenges of the, in the U.S., the living building challenge, that's where the living building challenge was created. And there are more buildings that pursue it. Um, they also have a bigger supply chain, um, and a lot of the companies that we know and use here um, tend to have, you know, U.S. head offices. So that might have been available in the United States, but it wasn't available in Canada, or it was available in Montreal, and that's not 500 kilometers <laughs> from our site. So we're we're a bit restricted with what we could um, what we could source here. I mean, Edmonton just made it into the 500 kilometers because we're out in Lycoris. Um, so you, know, you think about how how that that, that material has to has to be transported to the site. Um, so so some very creative um, research and, and and to Tracy's point, lots of advocacy to help the the building product marketplace. You know, kind of do better and and create better better materials and um, products. 
Well, I mean, I'm looking at some of the numbers here, and, and I love that these were recorded and laid out. So you mentioned the 500-kilometer radius to source more than half of the construction materials. Um, 4,500 kilos of construction waste diverted from a landfill. 815, as a matter of fact, known red list or toxic chemicals avoided uh, by way of the living building challenge. Uh, 100. I love this. 105% of the energy needs uh, come from on-site renewable energy. 100% of water needs come from an on-site well and rainwater capture. Um, uh, 48, uh, more than 48 products installed, salvaged or reclaimed. 35 roof-mounted solar panels. 20-plus uh, percentage of the property designated for food production. I mean, this is really, really impressive. 90% of metals, paper, cardboard, soil, biomass, rigid foam, carpet, and insulation diverted from landfill during construction. I mean, if you've seen some home construction sites... To say the least, that's not always the case. To say the least. So this is really, really remarkable stuff. Um, in closing, we, we've had a couple questions about whether or not uh, Les was wondering if wind power was considered. And we also had a question from a viewer that was wondering about whether or not solar panels can actually uh, prolong the life of the shingles underneath, um, if that's actually mm. a thing. Um, I suppose they're two different questions, but, but does somebody want to take them both? Sure. Um, so wind power, uh, <clears throat> the availability of small scale like residential turbines is still um, still in earlier days than where solar has gotten to. And we were trying to balance the costs for this project um, to go back to that, those comments about, you know, could I build it as just a typical homeowner? Um, we wanted to be sure that we could put something together that people could afford to do with materials and products and, and technologies that were readily available um, in the marketplace. And, and that wind turbine piece, we're interested in pursuing. If anyone wants to, to jump on a research project, we'd be happy to do it. But for this house, it wasn't quite the right decision. We also have to consider the what kind of wind we have. We know that if we go down south in Alberta to Lethbridge, great place to put wind power, lots and lots and lots of consistent wind. Um, areas where there's it's more protected and the wind isn't consistent means that the uh, the wind turbine is not as consistently generating power and the solar was, would be more consistent in this case. Um, in terms of the solar panels protecting the shingles underneath, yes, they do. But then you have to think about the durability of the solar panels themselves. And I'm, I'm assuming that that comment comes from our wonderful hail um, season coming up here in the spring and summer and making sure that your solar panels can withstand um, minor hail damage. Um, it, it will behave the same as, as any shingled roof in terms of major hail damage. Now, in this case, the roof is actually metal with the solar um, above it. The bigger issue that I would advise is making sure that if you're adding solar after you put your, you know, your roof on sort of an aftermarket solar, make sure that the solar installers know what they're doing in terms of penetrating your shingles and your roof, because you don't want to create a whole bunch of water leaks up there that would be a much bigger concern in my mind than um, the damage to the shingles themselves yeah to say the least uh i love this from chuck on twitter uh says this is so interesting and i admire the pioneers of green buildings and i really do hope that it goes more mainstream and yes says chuck i am one of those scribbling notes uh we know a lot of people have been taking notes uh to the three of you and to the entire team 
behind this build and a ton of people involved. You can learn more about it by following the, the Green Building Technologies hashtag, the Here at Sate hashtag, and of course, follow GBT Green Build and Sate on Twitter. Uh, you can learn more about this at sate.ca slash living building. Uh, Haley Puppeto, Tracy Chala and Melanie Ross. This has been fascinating. I just looked at the clock and went, holy smokes, we're, we're way over an hour right now. Um, we could talk about this stuff all day. Your passion is evident. Your expertise shines through. Thanks for hanging out with us this morning. Thanks for having us. This was fun. Great to connect. Uh, that's the the team uh, behind this amazing green building technologies research group uh, at Sate Polytechnic. Sam, I, if I know anything about the way that your mind works, I suspect that your weekend plans have just changed as, as the engineer that you are. <laughs> what DIY project have you dreamed up in the last 65 minutes? Tell me there is one, isn't there? There is one, isn't there? Well, you know what's interesting is it, it it's kind of like just continuing some some current projects that I'm working on and and um Oh God! What do you want me to nerd? Well, hang on a first? second. Let me like, let me fit this so in because I want you to tell here. us about tell us about your water capture in oh, just okay, a second. Sure. Let, me, let me get you a, get a second to think about that because when you told me about that, I went this this guy this because because that's something I think everybody could do right. Um, let's point out that if you're inspired right now by what you're seeing and you're and you're hearing talks about the the water garden or the rainfall garden or maybe the the gardens that line your driveways or, or maybe you're thinking it's time for a total overhaul of your outdoor space. We have a team that does that and they've been doing it for more than 20 years we're so proud to partner with eden landscaping check out the work they do at landscapeedmonton.ca as a matter of fact i'm going to call it up right now landscapeedmonton.ca is a great way to get a view of what the team at eden landscaping does they start with the consultation and the design and then they build it sam can you call this up you see they bring your outdoor space to life Look at that. The multi-tiered patio with the beautiful. Now, that would be a pergola, wouldn't it, Sam? Or would it be a that, pergola? That is a, well, I mean, I say pergola, is but a, that uh, looks tomato, more, tomato. It looks more like a pergola than a pergola. I think the pergola is when you build it with, with pine. Is that right? Is that right? Pergolas sure, sure. are cedar. Pergolas are pine. Yeah, that's the way it works. If you want to talk to somebody that really knows what they're talking about, talk to the team at Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. Also want to remind you that if that if your dog, your family member, your four-legged furry family member is is maybe not looking as good as you know they could, maybe you've, they've lost the sheen in their coat, or maybe they're moving a little more slowly, maybe you see it when you, you know, pick up after them. Why not change up their diet? Why not go with quality raw food from Grand Dog Essentials? We made the switch. It's made a world of difference for our pups, Moses and Monroe. We trust the nutritional experts there at the family-owned company, and they deliver to our door. They'll do the same for you if you live in Edmonton, Calgary, or Central Alberta. Use Real Talk as a promo code to get 10% off your first order at granddog.ca. If you're talking about HVAC, if you're talking about upgrading your systems, why not go to the experts at Todd's Mechanical? Todd is Edmonton's favorite plumber, and you can check out his online reviews. They'll show you the exact same thing. Five stars across the board for this guy. He's an expert in residential and commercial and industrial systems. You can give Todd a call today or when you need him at 780-499-7598. That's Todd's Mechanical. 
So this was early in our uh, friendship, early in our working relationship, Sam, and, and, and somehow rain barrels came up. And I was telling you how I kind of half-ass installed a rain barrel at our house. It's not really properly done. It, it can capture some of the water, but but for perfectionists, they would look at it and it would drive them nuts. Your situation's a little bit different. Well, I mean, okay, rain barrels tend to be DIY, so like they're, they, there isn't really a super one professional way to do it, but I'll tell you how I did mine. Um, I because I'm me started looking for just regular Joe, you know, 50 gallon drum barrels. And, um, uh, one, one internet search led to another internet search led to me picking up a used thousand liter, like farm stock tank. And so I built a frame to put that on. I built a collection system that tees the water off of my garage roof and has an overflow valve on it. Uh, and then I installed an electric pump on it uh, so that I can actually push a sprinkler and push a garden hose with my rain barrel. So now I have, you know, a, a thousand liter reserve supply of rainwater uh, in my backyard and and I do the majority of my outdoor watering with it. Yeah, I was going to say so a thousand liter reserve. I mean, for, for perspective for people, that's about a hot tub's worth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so do, I mean, do you ever go to your faucet or your outdoor tap in the summer? I mean, is there I mean, it depends on rainfall, obviously, and what time of year yeah, it is. But. So, I mean, the interesting thing is so I, I installed it last summer. It was another pandemic project. And um it filled up way quicker than I thought it would, to be totally honest. Like, that was the big thing that I I, I couldn't imagine how fast you'll collect a thousand liters of water. Um, near, you know, getting a couple months into having it when it was consistently full, I almost never had to turn on the faucet if I was doing gardening. Um, this year, like, it, it, is, it, is, it was overflowing just from the snow melt. So, like, I get to start the whole season with a full tank, yeah. which is great. And it's just going to sort of keep rejuvenating from there. So, if you think about it, what yeah. you're saying, you say you'd you don't realize how fast you'll you'll collect a thousand liters in other words we don't realize how fast we'll waste a thousand well i mean that's it too you know it's like the the flip side to that of course is you have to be sparing with it is that you know the first time i plugged a sprinkler into it i kind of forgot about it it ran for an hour and almost drained the tank so right you know and flooded your lawn well and i think that you know one of the things is is just when you when you work on a, a system like this like albeit diy the way that i did it um one thing that I love about it is like you become really conscious really fast of how much water you're using when you're gardening. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like when you're actually physically looking at the volume on this tank and you see how much it goes down just from, you know, spraying your garden for 10 minutes, you you understand really quickly how much water you use. These are the life experience things. I think so. uh, I've told yeah. you, I mean, uh, like along different lines, but along the same line. Um, back in 2008, I went, went to Ethiopia for three and a half weeks to, to, shoot a documentary a mini doc called albertans in ethiopia it was a great experience uh it was a very difficult experience at the same time and seeing um typically women women and girls that would walk walk in in the afar region of ethiopia uh like we're talking uh the dryness the heat the drought conditions are difficult to describe um if if you're a friend of mine or you follow me on facebook if you if you'd like you can do a deep 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 dive back to 2008 in my photo albums and you'll see what i'm talking about but the these women will walk for 20 plus kilometers a day a day to access a community well that's not like fresh beautiful wonderful glacier fed 
water. Like that's not what they're going to get. It's water that's coming up and it and it's it it is almost boiling hot. Um, it has it has a certain they're they're, they're sharing. I mean the, the video. I wish I had the video to show you now, but it's it's so powerful. The, the the people are drawing their water from the same source that that uh, farmers are are feeding their 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 goats and their cattle, and, and the water is is not as clean as we would be accustomed to, to say the very least. My point is living this experience and seeing this for for a relatively uh, extended period of time for a few weeks. When I came home, I noticed that things my habits changed almost immediately on things that I wouldn't have thought twice about before, like shaving and just running the tap. Oh, yeah. Or brushing brushing your teeth and just running the tap. And you don't do that after you've had an experience like that. Yeah, that was. I mean, it's funny that that's one thing that I'm. I was very bad for brushing my teeth, the tap running, and, and Kelly nipped that in the bud really quickly. So uh, props to my my better half for for pointing out that one to me. Uh, something else, if if you don't mind, I want to take a little turn into is the whole idea of of uh, reclaimed building materials. Yeah, I'm, I am huge on that. They that are right? all over my house, so I will tell everybody. Uh, the I when I plan a renovation project, I go to the restore first and then go to a hardware store. Right. Uh, the restore, if you don't know it, it's it's run by Habitat for Humanity. It uh, a lot of times they get donated building materials that they can't use in their housing projects, or they have some stuff that you know people have done renovations and things are gently used. Uh, you can like have cabinet doors there. or handles. You can get an or... entire kitchen there if you want. Yeah. And you can get like all sorts of hardware. I've bought full like I've I wired almost my entire basement with stuff from there. It was brand new spools of wire wow so it's just it's not hard to find reclaimed repurposed not brand new off the hardware store shelf building materials yeah no kidding we're seeing some really interesting uh comments here and 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 feedback on our our live chat which somehow is now being renamed by by the uh by the real talkers that as the joint have you seen this they're now calling it i have seen this yes i I thought that was the temporary name for 420 but it seems to have stuck seems to i don't mind that you know we'll we'll go by and i guess what that would be is if like if we're going to touch down on it and take a look are we are we hitting the joint um, or if I look over it, if, if I if I dismiss it in a way, if I don't pay attention to it, am I passing the joint? Um, if I spend too much time on it, am I bogarting the joint? I don't know. Um, Kim says we don't water our lawn more than twice a summer and I only use rainwater when it comes to watering our plants. How about this from Greg, who says uh, grass is among the most irrigated crops in North America, and most people toss the clippings in the garbage. Sue says lawns are overrated. Thanks, mom. <laughs> is that your mom? Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, you know, t- uh, you know. Greg says, you know, I, I, I think that more people need to start using drip irrigation systems. We waste so much water watering our plants, you know. Um, Rhonda says we have well water we've always used rainwater to water our gardens my hubby rigged up an older water tank with a hose and pump so I can water my gardens I mean these these are these are really really great Uh, Daniel a while back I'm scrolling back to find it uh, Daniel says you know one of the things that we did was use solar uh, for our cattle waterers and a solar fence 
um, powered purely from solar power. He says, that's where my interest, said Daniel, and the capabilities of solar got him more interested. The benefits of solar are absolutely exponential. I mean, I can think of like agricultural producers. It sounds like that's Daniel's wheelhouse, maybe a cattle producer, obviously. Um, I mean, so many options there, which is really, really cool stuff. Keep the comments coming to talk at ryanjesperson.com. That's where you can make sure that we're going to see your message. Of course, we also keep an eye on the Real Talk RJ hashtag. That's where you can find the conversation going on on Twitter, both live as we bring this show to you weekday mornings, as well as through the rest of the day as our Real Talkers download and check out the podcasts and, of course, watch us on YouTube as well. Park Power is in the Internet, Electricity and Natural Gas game. And here's what I love about their social media. I was telling you this. I was showing you this an example the other day. They're like the only power company I've ever seen that uses their social media platforms to encourage you to use less power. They have efficiency tips, energy efficiency tips. Uh, They're in it for the long haul here as community members. It's what they're all about. It's why they take 10% of their profits and, well, donate them to nonprofits every year, too. Why not be part of that movement? You can learn more at parkpower.ca. And if you use the promo code uh, 2021-REALTALK, that's 2021-REALTALK, they'll give you $70 off your first bill. The team at Alta Moving and Storage is in the business of making life easy, pulling the stress away from one of the most stressful things people do, move. If this spring into summer involves a move for you, check out altastorage.ca. They've got these pod-style moving containers. That means you don't have a big 18-wheeler idling on your street waiting for you as you haven't even had a chance to say goodbye to the house you brought your baby home to. Move at your own pace. Get rid of the stress and address your long and short-term storage needs. Find your solution today at Alta Moving and Storage. And hey, speaking of bins, when, when you're driving through the back alleys of the city, is you're around, you know, the mall or the hotel, have you seen the big green ones, the local waste bins? Here's the thing. The team at Local Waste wants to remind you that air is free, but it's very expensive to waste. Now, what does that mean? It means that a lot of businesses around town are paying for bins that are way bigger than what they need. Local Waste meets you where your business is at and they grow the relationship with you. Maybe you start with a small bin and graduate to a big one. Integrity is what matters most to them. You can find them online at localwaste.ca. You know, every Friday, the team at Local Waste presents a little something we call Trash Talk! The band was hitting the joint, but we're glad that they're with us now. This one from James, who sent this in to talk at ryanjesperson.com. James says, a little different for Trash Talk today. We just had 420 go by, and from absolutely nobody did I hear any sort of acknowledgement for my community. Where do I live? Well, I live in High Prairie, and I think we deserve a shout-out on 420. Says James, come to think of it, I didn't hear any mention of High Level or High River either. This is an absolute travesty, and I'm demanding that every community is acknowledged here on 420 going forward. So we say, hi, High Prairie, and thanks, James. How about this one from Irene, who says, Premier Kenny, your lack of action in addressing the third wave of this pandemic is unbelievable. 
unacceptable. I'm at my wits end with your delusional talk about the Calgary Stampede, McMahon Stadium, and the best summer ever. Wake up! Support Albertans! Circuit Breaker now! That from Irene. We got this one from Christine who says, hearing how we could possibly have our childcare fees cut in half, maybe even have $10 a day daycare, stupidly, I got my hopes up. I thought of everything I could do with an extra $900 a month, then hours later, hearing provincial government officials turn it down before they even knew the details. I am crushed. I am enraged. She says, first, the back-to-school plan in the fall didn't spend anything aside from masks and cleaning supplies. Then, draft curriculum. No negative feedback accepted. Finally, we turned down help from the federal government on child care. We need to give our kids a better chance at a future. We need to break the cycle of poverty. This government is stupid, selfish, ideologues that have no idea how the decisions are affecting anybody. If there's not a new government sworn in in the spring of 2023, add my family to the list of people leaving. That from Christine. How about this one from Alan? Allen says, we are running our province into the ground. Another two years of cuts and inaction like this, we're going to resemble Arkansas. All this referendum talk, trying to divert the focus of the people from the actual problem, which is our premier can't govern. One way to show them you're unpleased with performance, vote no to a referendum. That from Allen. What about this from Les? Les says, I grew up in the beautiful Bow Valley near Canmore. My step dad gave me an appreciation of serving my country and what it meant to be a small c conservative so i went on to have a successful career with the federal service but i decided after to return to my home province of alberta i was not ready for what i returned to never in my life have i seen such disregard to the feelings and concerns of albertans never in my life have i seen a government so hellbent toward destroying where we are so here's my rant as less I'll tell you this, I'm more than willing to give my vote to the Wild Rose Independence Party, not because I actually believe in anything they say, but because I am willing to punish the UCP. You try to screw us over, you get a good swift kick as we boot you from the legislature. That from Les. And how about this one from Tyler? Tyler says, let me talk about these partisan shenanigans we're seeing after the federal budget included details on a affordable child care. Our premier calls it Ottawa's cookie cutter approach. Jason says Tyler. You are in the middle of one of the worst health crises in over a hundred years. Blaming the federal liberals for all your poor choices and instead of cooperating you blast away at the government and in the end Albertans suffer. Tyler says I am no fan of Justin Trudeau but Jason if Justin has the political depth of a finger bowl like you say you sir have the critical thinking skills of a drunken sailor on leave after six months at sea with my apologies to drunken sailors everywhere, including Captain Highliner and Captain Crunch. Get your head out of your ass! That from Tyler, who submitted that to talk at ryanjesperson.com. That's where we find our trash talk. That's where we get fired up. And that's how you can be in touch with us. Have a wonderful weekend. Check out our YouTube channel. Share our podcast with your friends. And brace yourselves Monday to meet our new producer, Sarah! In the meantime, have a great weekend weekend, friends, and we'll talk to you soon.